to introduce Galatians to. I want you do. Does anybody here know who David Goggins is? David Goggins um, is uh, considered to be a ultra marathon runner. Ultra marathon runners are basically marathons but ultra. You have to run about a hundred miles, I think it is, within 24 hours. Or if you complete a hundred miles before 24 hours, they expect you to continue running for 24 hours. It's complete madness. Um, he's also, I believe, in the army, if I remember correctly, but. If we rewind back into his life, David Goggins was uh, obese, um, didn't have a real job, and um, he, he actually had tried out for the army, he wasn't fit enough, then he went to the Navy SEAL, they told him you're not smart enough, and he just literally says that he cried on his couch and just drank milkshakes, that's what he loved to do. Um, and one day he just decided no more and he started to create this ideal version of David Goggins. And he started to work out and he started to do things that nobody else would want, want to do. And he started to run races even though he was overweight. Um, he ends up trying out for the Marines and he makes it. He had gotten over this fear of water. He didn't know how to swim. Um, he gets over the fear, he makes it into the Marines. And slowly but surely, David Goggins now is uh, known as the toughest man on the world, on planet Earth. He is mentally tough, mentally tougher than I think all of us put together. Uh, he's run on two broken legs. He has done what? the most. Yes, he's done the most uh, pull-ups ever known to man, to the point where his hands were completely cut from holding onto the bar. It's unbelievable. Um, but I want to say to you today that if we are like David Goggins, it's not, it's not enough. For David Goggins, his gospel is a self-salvation. His gospel is how much can I do to make myself worthy. That is not the gospel that we know. That is not the gospel that Paul preached. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So for today, there are three points that I'm going to focus on. Yes, Jesus is sufficient. Faith in Jesus is what justifies us, and God's grace is the root of our salvation. Wow. So, just quickly, I want to go through Galatians 2, the whole chapter. If you will, turn with me to your Bibles so you know I'm not making anything up. Treat it like a Baptist church when you're there, just say amen. <laughs> Okay, so, then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation, for fearing that I might be running, or had run in vain. But not even Titus who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality. 
while those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles, and recognized the grace that had been given to me. James and Cephas, Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked to remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do. But when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, in, this, in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, mm. even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Which are death. The truth of the gospel is this 
that Jesus' work at the cross was and always will be enough. It was sufficient to save us then, it is sufficient to save us now. True. And it gave us liberty. Liberty from what? The bondage of the law and its curse. And this freedom is a free gift of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This freedom that Jesus granted to us is so that we would have eternal life with Him mm -hmm. and not be slaves to the law and its curse. Colossians 1, 19-23 says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell with Him, Jesus, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If you need, if you indeed continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Jesus' death at the cross freed us from sin, saved our souls, and redeemed us by his blood is how the Father sees us blameless. Not by being circumcised as the Jews were telling Peter and the rest of them. Not by following food laws. For if we continue in those things, we do not deserve Christ. And we would not receive salvation. That's not how we're saved. So my question today is, what is it that we're adding to Jesus? Like they were adding to the faith of Jesus. In this culture, it's not circumcising. It's not. It's definitely not sticking to food laws that make us holy or deem us unholy. But what we do have is something very similar. It's like David Goggins. We have a mentality of I can do better. Yeah. If I just work a little bit harder, if I try a little bit harder at this, maybe if I give give a bit more money this week, I'll have that breakthrough. Yeah. Perhaps you don't feel good about yourself, so you say, you know what, I'm going to do something good for somebody else, and you pray for somebody. You build up the courage to go and pray for somebody. Because that will make God happy. But what happens when sin comes into your life? What happens when we fall short of the glory of God like we do every single day? All these works would, would, would amount, if imagine if it was a spider web, that's trying to hold on to everything. And one little rock is thrown into that spider web. That rock is sin, and it all comes crashing down. There's a tree, it's called the California Redwood Tree. This tree, with all its beauty, grows hundreds of feet into the sky, hundreds of feet. It's like this being that wants the sun more than any other tree. And it does whatever it needs to. It, it, it sucks up whatever it needs from the earth to do this. And its roots go wide. They stay as wide as acres. But one storm comes through with strong winds, it's uprooted. Wow. Because the roots don't go into the earth. The roots is simply to grow higher than everybody else. Mm -hmm. It says, look at me. And our works, does it not do the same thing, guys? If not faith in Jesus. By continuing in these works, we're turning back to our old ways, like we'll see Peter do, in hope of pleasing God, or by deeming ourselves worthy or good enough, we continue only to shed light on our sin, and that will bring self-condemnation. Look at Peter and his actions in verse 11. It says, but when Cephas, Cephas is Peter's 
uh, Peter's name, came to Antioch. I opposed him to his face. I want to stop right there and say something very quickly. Because we all get offended when somebody says something to us. Paul, in love, is opposing Peter, a brother in Christ, because he's not standing to the convictions of his beliefs. So it says, because he stood condemned, for prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. So he had fellowship with the Gentiles. Gentiles not meaning non-believers. What, what Paul's talking about here is Gentile believers. People that weren't Jews that now have faith in Jesus. Peter loved those people, just like Jesus loved those people. And it says that he starts to withdraw and hold himself aloof, so, so runs away from them because of the fear of the other Jewish believers that were coming in. The rest of the Jews joined him in the hypocrisy. And if we skip down to 14, it says, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? So basically Paul is saying, you believe in Jesus, and you have fellowship with these people, and it's giving glory to God. But then by removing yourself because of fear of man, you're basically forcing these Gentile believers to follow the old laws, laws that you have liberty from. Laws that he has liberty from. Peter knew the truth, and it was revealed to him. We don't have to turn to it, but in Acts, Peter had a dream, and the dream was basically uh, different animals falling from the sky. And the Lord says to Peter, Peter, eat, uh, kill and eat. And Peter, funny enough, the conversation goes back, back three times. Peter says, no, I will not, for it is unholy. The Lord says, Peter, eat and kill. Peter says, no, I will not, because it was unholy. Just like the three times he denied Jesus. Wow. And God, in His loving mercy, continuing, even in a dream, telling Peter, like He did when they were eating, Peter, do you love me? Peter, eat. It is not unholy. And in Romans 10.28, Peter was summoned to a Roman centurion's house. And he says to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. So when Peter arrived at this unbeliever's house, he realized, he realized something very important, that the dream not only meant that he could eat whatever he wanted, but that the barrier between Gentile and Jew was completely broken, that it was for every man. And yet he goes back to his old ways, just like we go back to our old ways, and that's why Paul's telling him, you, you stand condemned, why are you going back to this, this life of condemnation? Romans 8, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have died to the, to the law. We have died to our sin. It has no power over us. God did, did what we needed to do, knowing that we couldn't do it. He sent His only Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Wow. So that we wouldn't have to do it. So when we sin, and Satan brings his lies, and his condemnation, we must send him to Jesus. That is gospel-like. Not start trying to work ourselves out of it. That is what makes Jesus our Savior. He alone serves that position. It's his blood and his work is what's necessary for salvation. That is what Jesus being sufficient is. As 1 Corinthians says, nothing but Christ Christ alone for righteousness, Christ alone for justification, 
Christ alone for sanctification and redemption. Not our humblings or our duties or even our graces. It is faith in Jesus that justifies us. That's my second point. Justification of being justified is simply this. To be in right standing with God. Verse 15 to 16, back to Galatians 2. Paul says, We are Jews by nature, Peter, and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Meaning, Paul was talking about not that the Jews aren't sinners and all the unbelievers are sinners, for we are all sinners. But Paul is saying, we follow the law. We deemed ourselves not sinners. But even then, even then, no, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will and can be justified. It's faith in Jesus or nothing else. Us in 2018, we know how to use God talk. Everybody can just start throwing out little sayings here and there when we need to. Many of us go to church regularly. We'll pray at meal times maybe if people come over so we look like we do this every day. We'll give homeless a little bit of change if we feel guilty. Maybe even if it comes to our mind and we want something really to change, we'll fast. But these things don't change anything. Nothing, not, none of these works will amount to anything and it will not be worthy. You will not be in right standing with God if that's what you do, if it's by human effort. It's not going to be good enough. There's verses like Psalm 143 too, where it says, don't, don't enter me into judgment. Don't let your servant go into judgment for there is no man righteous in the sight of God. Habakkuk two, two, uh, chapter 2, 4 says, but, but the righteous will live by faith. Mm. Faith in who? Faith in Jesus. Mm. Not faith in the works that I will do. For Jesus. To make me feel better. Yeah. Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress, for those that don't know what it is, is a book by a, uh, a man called John Bunyan. John Bunyan was a Baptist preacher back in the 1600s. He spent 12 years in jail for preaching the gospel, this gospel, even though it was illegal. He had a wife and a little daughter that was blind. And in this book that, that he wrote in jail, it's basically the walk of a Christian man, Christian woman. And the, the main character's name is Christian. And Christian at this point in the story, um, is led to a house that is in different rooms is supposed to show him a lot of different things and the Holy Spirit is working these things through him, showing him in this room you'll see this and this is what it represents. And they get to a room, a big room, imagine the room is like this. And Christian and the Holy Spirit walk into the room and Christian sees the room is dirty. It's completely full of dust. There's guck everywhere. Um, and in the corner, in the back corner, there stands a person with a broom, a servant with a broom. And on the other corner, there is an, uh, another person with a cup of water. And as he's walking around the room, he notices, again, that it's very dirty. So the Holy Spirit tells the servant with the broom, sweep up the room, make it clean. And Christian is standing in the middle of the room. As he starts to sweep up and walking around, the servant's walking around sweeping up. For those that, that clean, you would imagine what happens to dust. It starts to come up. It starts to fall off the walls. 
The more walking around that you do, it starts to come off the, off the ceiling to the point where it was a fog. Christian couldn't see. He was breathing the smoke and it was choking him out. And then the Holy Spirit tells the servant, stop. And ask the other person with the cup of water to sprinkle the water into the room. It settles the, the, the dust. And then the room may be cleaned. Christian turns to the Holy Spirit and says, what does this mean? Why do I need to see this? And the Holy Spirit reveals to him, the room is our hearts. And the dust is sin. The sin that has depraved us, the sin that has completely torn our lives apart. And the servant with the room is our works. And it's the law. And the, and the more that you try to use the law to make yourself feel better, the worse it gets. The worse it gets because it only sheds light on your sin. It only empowers sin. And the person with the water is Jesus and his blood and he sprinkles his blood on our sin. And it's only by this that we are clean. It is only when we are washed by the blood of Christ that we are seen righteous. Mm -hmm. As it says in Romans 3, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. For through the law, the only thing that comes is the knowledge of sin. Wow. But God has been manifested through Jesus for those who will believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Justified are we only by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. In verse 17 in Galatians 2, Paul goes on to say, But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves also have been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show his mercy. If we sin under the grace of God, in faith of Jesus, like I said earlier, it doesn't make Jesus a minister of sin. If anything, turn back to Jesus. He is your Savior. So good. For God is a gracious God who meets us where we are and pulls us out. He doesn't just get to the situation, throw us a lifeline and say, now come to me and then you'll be saved. That's, if that was the case, we, none of us would be here. None of us would say that we were saved. We would be in a boat that I like to call despair for all would be lost and we have no hope. So when the enemy comes in with his attacks and guilt, and, and this starts to add up in your life, I say, keep watch for how you try to get rid of it. For it is only by the blood of Christ that you can do this. Any other way will lead to your heart, that room full of dust. It will harden, and it will just increase and increase. So stand on your faith in Jesus, and what, he done, know, what he's done, knowing that it's enough. Before I was saved, Just like all of us, there was sin in my life. I was a young teenager thinking that I could rule the world. Full of pride, full of sin. Sexual immorality. Nobody could tell me no. Until the love of God was poured out on me. And then I saw. I saw a glimpse of the light. And I knew that Jesus was real. Because even in my tribe, 
to make up for the bad things that had happened, no matter how, how the bad things happened. It wasn't good enough. They only fed the beast that's inside of me, that's inside of us. Like Romans says, the knowledge, the, 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 the law only brings up more sin. And we've all been abused, we've all been in dark places. How do you get out of that dark place? I tried to get out of that dark place one time. I, I thought to myself, time heals all. So I slept. I literally slept as much as I could because I didn't want to feel the pain. When the pain didn't go away and I couldn't sleep anymore, I turned to drinking. For I thought, the alcohol will take the pain. In that, I can enjoy myself and I won't have to think about things. After that didn't work, because it doesn't work, I said to myself, I'm going to work, hard as, work out as hard as I can so I, physically I can feel good about myself. So certain things would have never happened to me. That didn't work. So then I turned to the holy option. And I said, I'm going to forgive people. I'm going to do my best. When somebody hurts me, I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to humble myself. Because I thought that that's what, what I needed to do. I was too prideful. This only brought up more anger, more despising of myself. And these lies that the devil continued to, to, to bring into my life, I couldn't do anything about it. And although I struggle with these things, and I know that all of us here struggle with some things, and it, it will not be removed completely until we get to heaven and we see Jesus face to face. God reminds us that he died for those things. To not try to work yourself out of the muck, but wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for God to pull you out. His love is what will cure us of all the things we want to be cured of. I pray that if anybody here is in that situation today, or has been, and you're trying to work out of it, I pray that God would, would rid you of your human efforts, for only He can do what you want to be done. In verse 19, Paul says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Salvation is, the only, is, is, salvation is in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So our old self must be put away. It must die so that we can then come up again with Jesus, with this new life under the grace of God. Which is my third point. God's grace is and must be the root of our salvation. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. This grace also empowers us to live for God. Verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus took the curse of the law on himself. It says that cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Our sin put him on that tree. And there he endured the full wrath of God, the wrath that we should have gotten. But he loved us too much. He loved us too much and he did it so that we would have life in him. He became sin, who knew no sin, so that we might have righteousness in him and be justified by his blood. This was a free gift 
freely given to us, and we should never forget it. Romans 6, 7 says, For he who has died is freed from sin. In verse 11, it goes on to say, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In 14, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And Paul says, he finishes with this, I do not know by the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Mm. And he knows that he didn't. What he's trying to show the Galatians is Christ did not die needlessly. So I say to you, church, Christ did not die needlessly. Yes. Just like Lazarus didn't die needlessly. When Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, the sisters were all upset, saying, Lord, they believed that if he had gotten there earlier, he would have never died. And it's completely true. He would have never died. But Jesus shows up and says, he will not die. Do you believe in me? Do you believe in this? Lazarus must have died so that then he could be raised in glory. So that all would believe in Jesus Christ. For those who lose their lives will save it. Matthew 16. Jesus gave himself up so that we may live through him. So that we may believe in his name. And as a result have access to our loving father. Who loves us. And then we can sing how deep and how wide the father's love for me. That he would give himself up for me as sinner. Yes. Amazing grace how heavy that my king could die for me. When we trust in Jesus and what he did. What is true of him our king. Is true of us. Because we are in him. For Ephesians 2 says, for 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So to finish, I want you to remember the time you were saved. Remember how God poured out his love on you. Relentlessly, recklessly like we sing of. You weren't doing anything to deserve it. And you never will. Yet he saved you and he saved me. He loves you just as much as he did then, as he loves you now. It does not change. He will love you the same at the end of life. There is nothing you can do to earn that love. He has given it to you. Make this gift the root of your salvation and nothing else. Be the opposite of the California red tree. Redwood tree. We have an old tree out back. There's a couple old trees in Milton I've seen them. The old tree, different to this California tree, doesn't grow tall. It begins its, its life as a tree by digging a root, what they call a tap root, as deep and profound as you can, into earth, into earth itself. And not only until it touches bottom, that then the excess roots start to pull out, that it starts to grow. Mm. This tree, come storm, hurricane, whatever you want, will not be moved. Mm. No. It's known for its, its faith, its power, and its strength. And I say to you that today our root needs to be that Jesus is sufficient, that we are justified only in his faith, and that the, the root of our salvation, all of this that we stand on must be the grace of God, nothing else. So I'll leave you with this song. It's a hymn. This version is by Noah James. It's called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. 
Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for look at the Savior. And life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Through death into life everlasting he passed. And we follow him there. Over us sin no more has dominion. For we are more than conquerors. His word shall not fail you. He promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying. His perfect salvation to come. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will go strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. If today you feel his love or have felt his love. Or today you want to know more about this God. That gave himself up for you. Do not walk away. But believe. I beg you believe in his word for it is sufficient. Have faith in Jesus for it justifies us. And you are never, ever outside of his grace. And nothing will ever change that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are good, Lord. You are good. And like we say today, we lean not on our own understanding. And Father, I say today, would we give our human efforts to you, for that is not salvation. Father, would we know of your love deeper? And would that love cause us to love one another, for that is the only law that you told us to abide by. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus Christ, you are our Savior. Would we grow in faith in you of that reality? For I am convinced, convince all of us today that there is nothing more we need but you, Jesus. There is nothing more we need to do but look to you, Jesus. It is at your cross that all becomes glorious and the earth goes strangely into strangely.